Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. For those of you joining us line, online, thank you for uh, being with us, and uh, we are glad you're here. I was a chemical engineering major in college, and I went to school at a time when uh, the supply and demand was such that they would hire you for these summer jobs, pay you this ridiculous wage, and attempt to try and recruit you. So between the summer of my junior year, I was in Shreveport, Louisiana, working for Sun Oil Company, and I was a senior project engineer, and they were trying to stimulate recovery in the wells around the Shreveport area. And so the way it went down was like this. The geologist would come to me, and he would say, you know, in light of what we've done and in light of these formations and this and that and the other, I would suggest we do, and there were two or three things you could do to stimulate recovery. Now, mind you, I had had one geology class, and my memory of that class was there's three types of rock, igneous, sedimentary, and metamorphic, and with that, I'm done. That's all the geological information I can remember. And this guy's laying it on. Yeah, to do this and that. So I didn't want to look like an idiot, so I'd look at his report. Yeah, yeah it makes sense to me. Go ahead. All right, so then he needs an engineer signature. No, I know nothing. I know nothing. Sign it. The contractor gets the signature, and they do the thing, and then I got to write a report based on what happened, so I write my report. And I think they had the administrative assistance on, like, um, every two or three weeks, they'd stop by my office, and they'd knock on the door. Knock, 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 knock. You know, I, I've worked here for eight years, and I've never seen a report more professional than this. And I thought, you know, they make jokes about the Aggies, but, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Why would you say this is a professional report? So in all that, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? What is my purpose? Why do you even need my signature? Because I have no clue what's going on. Am I going to say no to the geologist? No, I'm not. Just sign here. Why am I here? Well, fortunately, that was just a summer job, and I was done with it. But a lot of times, we can go through life wondering, why am I here? I'm in school. I'm a parent dropping kids off at elementary school, waiting in the line to drop my kids off. I'm, I'm doing a job. I'm, I'm a nurse. I'm a teacher. I'm a... Why am I here? I think there's a reason. You're at where you're at. I'm at where I'm at. And I think it's worth us thinking about today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to start in verse 11, and we'll go through verse 20 on wrestling with this question, what is God's task for us? What is God's task for us? And I, I want us to think about this individually, and I want us to think about this corporately. What is it God has for us? He's got you in a particular place as a student or um, employee or a mom or a dad or, 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 and then he's got us as the body in a particular place. What is it about? So Paul starts the, the verse in verse 11 with this word, therefore. Therefore is always a connecting word. And if you've been with us, you've heard us say that whenever you see therefore, you need to ask, why is it therefore? Well, it's connecting with what was written before where Paul talked about the judgment of God. We all go through the judgment of God, even as Christians, not for salvation, but our works would be judged. So he says, in light of the judgment, he says this, knowing the fear of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a term of a mixture of awe and reverence and respect. All right, I'm going to show my age a little bit here. How many of you remember the Doobie Brothers? Remember the thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
okay? So the Doobie Brothers, when I was a young lad in high school, had a song entitled, Jesus is Just All Right With Me. And there's a part where Jesus is the brother that sticks closer than a friend, and, and, and he's intimate, and, and he's close. And I think we need to recognize that part, that we can walk with him. But we ought never to lose our fear, our awe, our reverence of God. He is God Almighty. And Paul said, let's not forget that one day he's going to judge us based on what we have done. So years ago, I worked on my day off on Fridays. I worked for Lincoln Public Schools as a nutrition services substitute. In this particular day, I was at Roper Elementary on the southwest side of Lincoln. And Roper's unique because it has two kitchens. I'm in the kitchen. It's about 9 o'clock. And about 9.02, a man walks in with a blue jacket, and it says, health, on the back. Who do you think he was? He was the health inspector. And so the manager of the kitchen says to me, hey, go over to the other kitchen and tell him the health inspector's here. Why would that information be important? Because the health inspector's going to walk through, and he's going to make judgments. He's going to put a probe in the dishwasher and see if the water's hot enough. And he's going to check this, and he's going to tempt the food, and he's going to do that. And everything that wrong, he's going he's to light it up. Everybody was on edge because this guy can make life really difficult. So at the end of the day, I finished up, and I said to one of the employees, I was working the line with her, I said, well, how'd it go? She said, Andy, not good. That Monday, I'm going to be back in my office working on my sermon. I'm not going to have to face the judgments of this health inspector, but the rest of you are. Okay, if we'll do that for the authority of a health inspector, how much more, Almighty God? We, we will give an answer. We will give an answer to how we've lived, with our values, what we've done. So Paul says this, knowing the fear of the Lord, what do we do? We persuade men. We persuade people, what? To fear God. To know that one day you and I are going to give an answer for our lives. People want to live as if it's forever. It can go. If COVID has done anything, it's, among other things, it's reminded us not, life isn't forever. Bang, this thing hits and everything changes in an instant. Hundred and some odd thousand people lost their lives because of COVID. Stark reminder, it isn't going to go forever. We will give an answer to God. So we're persuading people, think about that now. And the good news is, that all of us have rebelled against God. All of us have sinned. We push back. God created us to be in a relationship with him, to, lead, to live under his direction. We all did our own thing, and, and there's a penalty to be paid for that. The good news is Jesus paid that penalty on the cross. So we're persuading people, get ready for this judgment. Draw near to Christ. Uh, then he switches tacks. He says, but we are manifest to God. What's he talking about? We're made known. God sees our motives. And, he says, I hope that we're made manifest also in your consciences. I hope you see us for what we are. Why would he say that? He's under attack. There are people who are opposed to him preaching the gospel. And they're calling him into question. They're calling his motives into question. Paul says, I hope, I know God sees me. I hope you see me for who I am, purity of motives. Paul says, verse 12, we're not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Paul said, I know you're getting grief because of me. And I'm not telling you this to thump my chest, 
but you've chosen to follow the message I've laid out, and I want to give you an answer. There will be people who will question me. And here's what's true of these people. They are concerned, verse 12 says, in appearance. They take pride in appearance and not in heart. They are concerned about how you look, about how much you own, about how popular you are. They are concerned about how your kids are doing or how your grandkids are doing, and they're not concerned about the character. Paul says in verse 13, but if we are beside ourselves, people accused him of being crazy. He was so committed to this cause. It is for God. If we are sound minded, it is for you. So Paul's in relationship with his readers. He understands there are opponents who are discrediting him to his readers. And Paul wants to say, my motive is pure. Now, there are other places in the New Testament where Paul says, let me tell you, I, I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned, I've been beaten, I've been in prison, and yes, Paul would eventually lose his life for this message. Why? Especially when you were a successful religious leader in a theocracy. You had the world by the tail. Why are you doing what you did? Well, verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. It means it hems me in. It doesn't leave me any choice. In light of what I've come to understand and know about God, I have no choice but to give myself radically to this message. He says, having concluded this, that one, Jesus died for all, therefore all died. Died to what? Died to living for self. See, the gospel is what God created us to live under his direction, his leadership. We all went our own way. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They pushed back. They didn't think God was good. Call your own shot. Do your own thing. No one controls. I'm, I'm the master of my own ship, captain of my own fate. Paul said, we, we've died to that. And we've said, no, Lord, I, I will follow you. This idea that Jesus set us free and we can do what we want just isn't true. It's not, it's not biblical. We've died to the idea we're going to live for self and live for God. And that's exactly what verse 15 says. And he died for all, so those who might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. There's new direction. There's new purpose to my life. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for God. So that then changes our values. It changes our priorities. It changes our, what matters to us. And we see that in verse 16. Paul says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. So the flesh is everything we can do apart from God. God created us to have life and meaning in, in Him. Intimacy, significance in Him. We push back on that, we're on our own. We've got to find significance someplace else. It's in what we do. It's how we look. Everything according to the flesh. And, and we value one another. We feel the pressure to get down to a certain size. We feel the pressure to accumulate uh, enough money to buy this kind of car so people will judge us. We feel the pressure to get a net worth because that's our value. So men, let me talk to you. A man meets another man. You know how they first make a judgment about that man? Right here. What kind of phone you got? So I'm not going to get to know you. I'm not going to have a conversation with you. But I see what kind of phone you got. I'm going to make a judgment about you. 
that shallow? Isn't that sad? So this is where this is really troubling for me. About two months ago, my phone went kaput. And I had to go. I went to the Verizon store, got an iPhone. And they said, well, we, the cheapest phone we got is this $770 phone. But we got these SEs. They're making the SE again, and they're selling for $440, but you'll have to wait a week. And I thought, I'll wait a week. So when you judge me, no, I just have a measly SE, and I'm probably not worth your time. But Paul says, you know, we've been delivered from that. We're going to see people differently. We're going to look at the character. We're going to look at the heart. In fact, he says in verse 16, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. What's he talking about? So Paul was a Pharisee. He was a leader in the Jewish religion. And he sees these people that are coming to faith and they're leaving the Jewish religion to follow this Jesus. And he thinks, what is the deal? The book of Isaiah tells us Jesus was not a handsome man. He didn't have much when he was uh, crucified. They they gambled for his clothing. That's all he had. He was popular for a time, but in, in a matter of five days, the crowds turned on him. And Paul thought, this is nuts. And so he committed his life to either uh, arresting or, or executing people who followed Jesus. And he was on the road to Damascus, and he had papers to arrest people when he meets Jesus, and he's blinded. And he, who are you, Lord? And Jesus. And, and Paul said, man, I met Jesus. It changes everything. It's the same guy, not very handsome, doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a lot of things. But, but now I get to know the Savior of the world who, do, though he had not sinned, chose to take on the sin of the world and died. Uh, Romans 5, it says, 5, 8 says, well, we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. Well, well, you and I are shaking our fist in his face, spitting on him. He died for us. Paul said, that man may not look great. He may not have a lot of money. He may not be very popular, but he's worth knowing. That kind of character, it, this, this relationship with Christ, it, it changes our values. Therefore, he says, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Again, old passed away, new things have come. What? Where do we, what's changing? Where do we find life? In Jesus, we find life in our relationship. And we don't have to major on this and, and worry about losing sleep about our job because we're, we're stressed we might lose it. Because we, we're not... We're finding life in Jesus, and and that's changing our values. It's changing what matters to us. So let me go back. When I was a college student, as a chemical engineering major, it always used to tick me off, the stinking business majors didn't work very hard. So they would come in. These oil companies would come in, and they'd interview us, and they'd take us out to dinner to the nicest restaurant in College Station. We'd put our coat and tie on, and you guys are in the dorm, but not me. We're going out there. And then that summer after my sophomore year, they paid us nine bucks an hour. You think that's not very much, but minimum wage was three. So three times minimum wage, and I just thought, I am worth something because they're paying. Well, junior year, I get an engineering job, and I think I'm getting like four to five times minimum wage. That's the summer I have the conversation with the geologist. So at the end of the summer, they pull me in the office and say, Andy, we really like you. Um, we want to hire you. Rick, who's the recruiter, he'll be into college station in the fall, and uh, he'll tell you what we got, and you can take your pick of jobs. 
I think, well, okay, I look forward to meeting with Rick. But in my mind, I think, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Why? Because that summer, or that year as a junior, I got involved in a campus ministry called Campus Crusade, now known as Crew. I began to grow in my faith, and, and my values began to change. And that's not to say somebody can't serve the Lord as an engineer, not to say that at all, but God was calling me to something different. And if it was just about money, this wasn't worth it. What happened? I was changing. Values were changing. Now know this, that the salvation that brings about this change is an event, and it's a process. When we come to faith, the sin nature that controls us, it dies. We no longer have control over it. And that's what we will illustrate this afternoon on the baptism. We will take people down, and that's symbolic of the old person dying. They are raised to new life. But understand this, for 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, we, we have had a habit of meeting needs illegitimate ways, sinful ways. And, and, and our habit and our go-to is, is to live that out. And that is a process where more and more we say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm finding my life in Christ. I don't have to shop. I don't have to look at that thing online. I don't have to do that. Why? Because I'm finding life in Christ. That is both an event and a process. And so we are growing in respect to our salvation. Verse 18 then also tells us there's a, something else that's new when we come to Christ. And here's what it says. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and catch this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we sinned against God. God is in the world, even though we're the ones that have given offense. He's reconciling us to himself. But then he's saying to the follower of Jesus, you too have this ministry of reconciliation. God is going to work through you to draw people to himself. Verse 19. Namely this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world in himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So you're a student at Wesleyan. You're a student at UNL. God, you're there, you're there on mission. God's got you there. You work at Sandhills. You work at Wells Fargo. You work at Bryan East. You work where? Great. God's got you there. You're on mission. And, and you don't understand. My, my job is I've got two kids at home, and I drive them to Campbell Elementary, and I drop them off. You're on mission there. To do what? As an agent of reconciliation. You've got a message that people need to hear. They've given offense. I've given offense. We've all given offense to God, but God is about reconciling people through Christ. And Paul states it this way, verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So you know what the U.S. ambassador to China does? He goes over to China, and he speaks. He acts on behalf of the U.S. He tries to persuade China or Russia or whatever the country is to pursue favorable policies for the U.S., we're similarly ambassadors in a world system that wants to get rid of God. Paul said, I got you a mission. You're, you're an ambassador. You're begging people on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. And what's our message? Verse 21. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we be, might become the righteousness of, of God in him. Made him who knew no sin. John 8, 46, Jesus having a discussion 
quote-unquote, with his enemies, his Pharisees, other people who are opposed to him. In the middle of that, he says to the people, which one of you finds any sin among you? That's a pretty bold statement, don't you think? I wouldn't even say that among people who love me. It wouldn't take them long. But against people who are opposed to me? But Jesus said that, and the answer was silence. He knew no sin. But he became sin in your place and mine, that we might become the righteousness of God. We might have right standing. So, Andy, what are you talking about? So, when I was a little boy, we lived in suburban Detroit, Gross Point, really nice suburban. And, and our family was middle class. Um, we kind of lived right on the edge of the Detroit unincorporated line. It was on Lake St. Clair. And the farther you got down, the wealthier the people got. And I played on a little rec basketball team and became friends with a, a guy and who, his dad was a coach, and they were super wealthy. And they were um, belonged to this exclusive country club. So one day they took me. And this country club served people with money. And man, they were, they were on top of it. What do you need? And you know what's weird? You know what's weird? They treated me like I was from money. I mean, we weren't poor, but we were middle class. We didn't have that kind of money. Why did they treat me that way? They assumed I was part of the family who brought me. They, they, they gave me a different standing than what I really had. Do you understand when we come to Jesus, man, we come with all kind of sin and all kind of issue. But when we come with Jesus, just like that waiter saw me with this family, God the Father sees us with Jesus, and, and he gives us Jesus' perfect, righteous standing. That is what we're trying to persuade people to be a part of. See, we're, we're asking this question, what's our task? Why am I a student? Why am I Brian East? Why am I driving my kid to school in the drop-off? Why? Why am I doing that? Here's, here's the deal. We're to persuade people to be reconciled to God. Our task, persuade people to be reconciled to God. As a church leadership, we've come together uh, with this mission state, being Christ in our community, but it's based in this idea we want to persuade people because we think there's a lot of misinformation out there about Jesus, who he is and what he might be, and we want to try to incarnate his love so people think differently. So that's why we did granola bars at, at North Star High School, and that's why we're doing different service projects around trying to meet needs, physical needs, that we would represent Jesus well, that we could begin the conversation, that we could be part of this process that Paul talks about, about persuading people, that we could get a foot that we could in the door, that we could beg them, would you be reconciled to God as his ambassador? being Christ in our community. Now, you see this little graphic up here. We have three components. You've been with us over the years. We used to have what we call four steps, attend, connect, grow, and engage. We've taken attend and, and put it under connect. We've changed engage to serve. And so we've got grow, connect, and serve. And our hope is that people will be involved in all three of these components that could be a part our mission. So let me talk about the first one, grow. You know, in, in this passage, in verse 11, Paul says, we know the fear of the Lord. 
Would we be growing in our awe and our reverence of God? Um, Verse 16, Paul says, uh, we don't recognize anyone according to the flesh. That's a change in values. That, That means we're growing. We understand that character, what matters is character. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, the old things have passed away, new things have come. That's a process. We hope people are growing in these things. We talk about connecting. The New Testament is a connected book. Verses 12 and 13, Paul says, I am writing that you be proud of us. I, I, you be proud of us. I understand people are attacking me. I, I want to give you reason to believe that, that my motives are, are, are pure. Paul's in relationship. He's connected to these readers, his listeners. I hope that you will find a place to connect and finally serve. Uh, Paul said, I, I persuade you. I, I, I beg you, verse 20. And if you're here and you think, well, Andy, I, 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 that's con- making sense to me. You want to know, how might I grow? How might I connect? How might I serve? I encourage you to fill out the connect card online. This time of COVID, you know, we'll get that. We'll get in touch with you and see, kind of meet meet you where you're at and and help you begin to plug in so you can be growing, connecting, and serving. Ultimately, why? That we could be Christ in our community. That we could be a part of persuading, yes, even begging people to be connected to God. Again, why are we doing this? Take us back to verse 21. That he who knew no sin became sin in our place, that we might have the righteousness of God. We get a standing with God we don't deserve, we didn't earn. Jesus is the reason we want to be Christ in our community. It's nothing in us. We've met this Jesus. We don't know him according to the flesh. We know him personally. And we believe he's worth representing. We believe it's worth being Christ in our community, that we might have the chance to speak forth the gospel. The end of the 2017 college football season, there would, I would argue, there was no hotter coach than Scott Frost. He had been at the University of Central Florida two years. In 2015, they lost every game they played. Two years, 2017, they were undefeated. They're what you call a mid-major. They're not one of the Power Five conferences, but they played Auburn one of the Power Five schools in the Southeast Conference in a bowl game, and they beat them. Um, Central Florida is probably the high school football hotbed in the United States, so recruits are there. And so it's like, Scott, you're good, man. On top of that, he had anonymity. I I read an article about him after one game. He went home, and he stopped at a a burger joint, and uh, nobody recognized him because this was Orlando. Man, you got Disney, you got all this stuff. Nobody's paying attention. And along at the end of 2017 season comes to the University of Nebraska with a lousy record. And they say, what do you think? Scott, man, you're good. Stay where you are, man. You, you, dude, you keep doing this, they'll, they'll build a statue and they'll name a street after you if you'll stay there. But he couldn't stay. And again, I'm not working with any inside information. I don't know Scott Frost at all. But I think two things compelled him, his home state and his alma mater. He was a national championship quarterback here, and the program was far from national championship caliber, and he couldn't say no. And he left, 
at great cost. <laughs> He's in a tough process right now. But he couldn't say no. The call was too compelling. If that's true for a college football team, how much more for the Son of God? Shed his blood, died on a cross. How can we say no to that, Jesus? He's got a task for us. Persuade other people to be reconciled to him. Let me pray. Our God in heaven, we are grateful for Jesus, that, that he answered your call. At great cost, he left heaven. He took on human flesh, the frailties of humanity. He was treated as a criminal, and he was executed unjustly. Lord, um, we take hold of that individually and corporately. We would be about serving as an ambassador, begging others to be reconciled to you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.